Hey, you're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit ktnnaz.org, visit us on Facebook, just search Ketchikan Naz, or you can download our free app from the iPhone store or the Google Play store, just search Ketchikan Naz. Thanks for visiting. Hope the Word of God speaks to you today. Okay, is anybody ready? <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm going. That's right. I, I, the other day, my kids said, I've got a music festival i got to be at at Ketchikan on those days. And I says, what? We're supposed to go to the college on those days. You're not. Well, then I'm going to Ecuador. So guess what? I'm going to Ecuador on that time. And I was asked to make sure and invite everybody that would like to be. Um, I'm excited about this group because two ways. This, there's never been a movement I've seen across the Nazarene church that's been more effective at discipling and starting new churches. And one of the things is, is I'm going to be on the coach in those horrible, horrible weather, about, uh, six, about 75 to 83 degrees on the beach, uh, working hard, okay? <laughs> so if you are interested, be, be aware. It's going to run as a plane fare. It's going to be anywhere between twelve to $1,400 and about $990 to, for all your expenses there. So if you are interested, let me know. It's a short time because it's only five uh, months away, and that's a very short time for a mission trip. Usually we plan a lot, lot farther than that. So if you are interested and you want to be involved in something that is very unique, uh, let me know. We'll get the information to you. Uh, you can't see that, okay, um, because it's a little bit small, but we will get anything you want uh, that you're interested in, okay? All right. Okay, now I, I'm, we're on this thing this last couple of weeks about discipleship, and I'm going to share with you an awful lot of things that really mean a lot to me. What? Oh, hey, you know, do, how do I do that? <laughs> do I turn this in button? Is it on now? No? Red light. Sorry. Oh, okay. You're good. You can hear me now? Can you hear me now? <laughs> we don't want to go through that, do we? We get enough of that on TV. All right. Well, if you're interested, I do want you to know it will be an exciting time, and you are invited. Uh, just let us know. And I found out when I called them up, and I said, you know what? We have three more people from Alaska up north going. And I said, this is exciting, so I'm even going to have some Alaska people with us. So that is going to be fun. Uh, before we get there, though, we're going to find out what it is to be a disciple. We started on some of that last week, but the truth of the matter is we're going we're to unpack the whole thing of what it is to follow Jesus. Uh, I'm excited about it because, you know, I am I, one of the groups that I have most interested that were the greatest group of discipleship people I have ever seen happened to be come over here on the Mayflower. Now, if you look seriously at that group, I went to Boston this summer with my kids, and I took a look at the lives of the people that came over there, and I want you to understand, those were the separatists, the, 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 Puritan, the strict Puritans that actually were fully committed to God. They tried everything they can to follow God to the best of their ability when they're in England. The reason they left England is because they're required to be a part of the Church of England at that time. And they had so much conflicts, they finally got out of that. They ran up to the Netherlands 
and they didn't like the Netherlands because they were afraid their daughters were going to marry into the Dutch there, and it didn't seem like the right society for them. In other words, they needed to get away from all those elements that would draw people away from God. So eventually, that is why they actually came to uh, the United States. Now, when they did that, it was only, there was actually a majority of what they call families. There's groups of families, and they were called the separatists because they believed in following God to the utmost ability, and so they were really strict. Matter of fact, they were so strict, a lot of them, they had about 20 or so people that were soldiers and hired people that they had along with them. They didn't want to be a part of that group because it was too strict. They didn't like that. But the truth of the matter is they couldn't separate from them because they couldn't survive without them. But when they came here, they really discovered that there was something unique in their lives that they wanted to share with their children. But they didn't have any idea what they would go through. I would imagine if they saw what they were going to go through, they would turn around and go the other way. God doesn't always tell us what he, want, he was going to show us. Matter of fact, our lives usually don't turn out the way we think they are. Oh, excuse me. Do we have kids' children's church? Okay, okay good. I thought, oh, no. Okay. Uh, just want to make sure. Lord, let their eyes and their ears be open. In spite of my words, would you speak to the hearts of the kids as well as the adults? Amen. One of the things that I do want to show about this group is when they got here, they discovered it was not all that they had hoped. They struggled. 103 people came across, and only 42 survived the first winter. Matter of fact, most of their families were devastated. On my wall, I have a poster with all the names of those that were on the Mayflower. And below it are all those that survived to the first Thanksgiving time. There's only those 52, but out of those 52, 27 of them were children. We didn't realize that. And only four women survived. Couldn't you imagine what you had to face when you saw your own family die? Would they have chosen this? But the interesting thing about it, they were devoted. No matter what they went through, their devotion was strong. They were people truly of their word. They're actually the only group that made a, a covenant uh, with, a with a tribe and kept it. The only one in the United States that both sides of the, and they both will te have testified that they kept it, but they only existed 75 years. What happened to this group of pilgrims that after 75 years, they were no longer in existence? Well, when I looked at it, I found out they did the very same thing that they should have done. God had an impact on their lives that changed a lot of the course of the early part of the American history. For those families, even though they moved into other areas, they became parts of other churches. And when I started to look at their, their kids and their kids' kids, they were prominent members in multitudes of different churches throughout the New England. Much of the influence of a religious heritage came through those separatists throughout America. And so I asked myself, Lord, all that they went through, what kind of impact they had, it was huge. You see, one of my favorite verses is Romans 8.28. God works for good 
or someone says causes good to come from all and everything. Everything you do for those who love and are called to his purpose. He says, so God has made a promise that the things in your life, when you love God and you desire to follow God, it's going to work out for the good of everybody. Now, I say that because I've learned that in my own life. This is the testimony when I look at the scriptures that when you follow God, he's going to take the things that you thought you failed at. I mean, if I looked back at those, those, those small group of people that survived, I would say that looked like a pretty much of a failure. But in reality, no. It became a major influencer in America, early American history. Matter of fact, I would also say in my own life, my biggest failures quite often was the fact that God was working. And sometimes I didn't understand it because it wasn't my agenda. It didn't go the way I was supposed to go. I discovered that one time. I was so upset when I was over in Hawaii. Tough life, I know. On Maui, tough life, I know. And I was working at a church there. We decided to start another church. So we went across the town in Kihei, and I started doing a, a church plant while we were doing another church over here. And as time went, it was a great time. We had some great times back then. You'd do it in the outside, in the park. You'd have a great opportunity to do outside. We'd baptisms in the ocean. Greatest way in the world to get baptized, folks, is go for swimming in the ocean, okay? But one of the things that was so significant is, is it finally came to a point where I found out, oh, no, my wife was pregnant with Lily. <coughs> I didn't have the time anymore to be able to do this over here and this over here, and then Caleb came two years later, and all of a sudden I had to put something down. I couldn't do all that I was doing. I thought, oh, man, I failed. We've tried something, and it's not working I says, you know what, we're going to close it up. And you know the day we closed it up? That was 9-11. On 9-11, we closed the church. You want to talk about feeling like I, I had not done right. What I didn't realize, the fact is when we started that, a young man that came out of that was a man of passion. A young man that eventually became my youth minister, my worship leader, and to this day, out of that church, Young people came up, led worship until to even today. That is a young person's church with full children's and much like this, full of kids. That means they were healthy and they still are today. And it happened because many times our failures God will use because that's not his intent. Just because you want something done doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. And in your life, when you have become that thing that God has dealt with you at, you become a disciple of him and you act out to do the things of God, your failures aren't failures. Because Romans 8.28 says yeah, there are successes. You may not see it, but they are. But to get there where we're going, we got that slide. Oh, awesome. Let's find out. We were having so many technical things today, it was not even funny. Hey, this is working. Okay. I'm going to start with you, though. Before I read this, I'm going to talk to you about Rome, uh, Luke chapter 14. The scriptures, Jesus actually said in that verse, he says, Whatever does not bear, who, me, whoever does not bear this, his cross, and come after me, cannot be my disciple. That is such a tough thing for me to understand. God's saying, 
if you're going to follow me, it is not going to appear or be easy. But the good news is the fact is Romans 8.28 says, but everything you do is going to be successful in God's eyes. The next verse he says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? At least, after he laid the foundation, he's not able to see it. And all who, who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and is not able to finish. God said the cost of following Jesus is a cost. And to get where we need to be in life, for that this world, we get on board with what God's doing, is we have to go through tough things. The tough things begin with one thing, a mental problem. That's right. I mean, you were raised in today's education system, right? Is that good or bad? <laughs> I got a principal over here. You got to be careful what you say. Okay. <laughs> okay. One of the things that I always had growing up, they seemed to be in always in conflict between science and faith. And it was always the aspect of the fact that science, is it science right or is God, is the word of God right? But you know, every time I turned around and we had this intellectual argument, over and over again, scientists have increasingly and still increasingly recognized that God does exist and he did create. One of the biggest intellectual arguments we have is always proved out in the word of God. And my grandma, she's a wonderful old German lady, sweet as you can be, before she died, when she died, we grabbed her, found her old Bible that she had. It was chartered, it was anything else. And in it was a, a whole bunch of the Old Testament and a bunch of clippings that every time they discovered an a, a, a element that was a, a congregation or a group of people that were in the scriptures that many people in science says didn't ever exist, she'd have that little thing stuck in there to say, hey, they discovered this. Oh, guess what? They discovered this. And over and over again, science and humanity comes to find out everything the Bible said was actually true. One of the biggest difficulties we have is an intellectual argument. And the first intellectual argument we all have, you and me, is the intellectual argument of who do we say Jesus is. Matter of fact, when we look at the three problems that we do have in that, the first problem is called the intellectual problem. That means we've got to determine who is this Jesus. Is he, as the scripture says, and according to the scriptures, it says he is the way, the truth, and life, according to John 14, 6. If he's the way, the truth, and life, he's not just part of the truth. He's not just a little bit of the truth or a segment of the truth. He is all the truth. That means truth comes from God. doesn't matter whether it's a psychological truth. You know, the funniest things about when I, when I was uh, doing some studying and counseling, one of the most fundamental things they always ask is the fact is they call it empirical evidences. And many times people sway from Christianity because of some of the things that are being taught today. And you know, every single time, when we get too far off, we discover that it's wrong. But when we stay there long enough, we find out the truth of God's scripture is actually true. You want to be the best way to be a counselor? Know the word of God. 
understand what the Word of God is. Take the elements of the Word of God and apply it into your mind. You could take all the other elements and you should study every bit of that. It's one of the greatest things in the world. God gives all knowledge, not part knowledge, all knowledge. But always understand that if it goes outside the parameters of what we see that God's Word is, we're going to find ourselves in error again. Society always does that. There is only one truth. His name is Jesus Christ. And when we come to a point in our lives where we start to get that, then we start to understand him a little bit better. In John chapter 22, he says, Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That means we are to engage our mind. God says our mind is important. Actually, it says in Philippians, it says, Let, your, let this mind be in you, this, which is also is in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 2.5. The mind is important. God engages us intellectually. When we come to know Jesus Christ, he engages us. He makes us think. And when we think, then all of a sudden we have to respond. But there's one problem with our mind. It's infected the same way the rest of it is. We can justify anything we can and anything we want. And one of the things that we have discovered is the mind has been infected by sin like all of creation has. And if it's infected, that means I don't totally, can't completely understand and rationalize what my thinking is. There's times when my thinking sometimes might be out of kilter of what I actually feel God wants. So to come to God, we can't really come to God just intellectually, can we? Matter of fact, we have to come to decide who Jesus is. Is he who he said he is? Is he is the son of God? Is he the one that has paid the price for you? Has he paid the sin on you, uh, for you? Has he been are you justified because you've accepted Jesus in your life? Do you believe that he's coming back again? I have to ask myself, do I accept this? There's first is an intellectual argument, but I can't come to God without an element of faith. When I come to accept that Jesus is who he said he is, I have to step out in faith and say, God, now, since I believe that, I truly believe you paid for my sins. I truly believe that you died for me. I truly believe that you have been risen again. I truly believe that you're coming again. And one day you're going to come to take me with you. Amen. And when I come to that, God says, this is okay. Now, <clears throat> invite me into your life. And when he comes into your life, he says, I am making you a new creation. The old thing's gone. Something new is happening in your life. And when you do that, the intellectual argument is bypassed. But then we have, we come to Christ, and then we have a problem. We have what they call a moral problem. Our moral problem is the same thing. as God asks us to have a high standard of life. You know, when we come to Christ, we don't take all our sin with us, do we? That's right. God says, I'm sorry, Matt. I'm going to tell you when you're doing something wrong. And the Holy Spirit comes upon you and says, you've got to stop that lying mouth of yours. You've got to stop saying those things about people. That gossip. You've got to stop stealing. He tells the kids, stop your cheating in school. Or the adults, stop your cheating at work. You've got to stop sleeping with that guy you're not married to. 
God calls us to that higher standard. He even calls us to a point of saying, now, I want you to not only know my word. Of course, in 2 Timothy, it says, I want you to study my word, to know it, so you can rightly divide it, and you can know and apply the truth in your life. That's a high cost. Time, energy, decisions. The third problem we have when we come to that Excuse me, before I go back, I want to hit on one other thing. He also says, it says, it says, I have been crucified in Christ. That means the Apostle Paul says, I am not my own anymore. God is in me. God becomes alive. And it says in Romans, uh, it says, for sin shall no longer have master in your body. Now, sin and the way you used to live is no longer in charge you now have the Holy Spirit, God in you, who is now in charge. So that higher standard becomes important. And finally, we come to a point, the third point is the emotional. We have an emotional problem, folks. Yeah, we all do, we don't we? <laughs> I do. Yesterday, I came over here in Ketchikan, and I had a certain agenda. I had to get my uh, passport done, and I had to get the... Uh, Pictures done at Walmart, and every time I showed up somewhere else, something didn't work, and I found myself being just grumpy. And I was snapping at people, and I started, God just convicted me. Do you see what you just did? And I asked myself, why am I this way? Folks, we have an emotional problem. God said, you know what, you know, I had to go back and try to find that gal and I was a little bit stampy to and try to apologize. I searched all over Walmart, still never found her. <laughs> Lord, help her. That was a lousy, I was just grumpy and I couldn't understand why. And I realized the fact is we live in a world of sin and things are going to affect us in a way we're going to respond in different ways. But if we have the Holy Spirit, he's going to correct us in those ways, isn't he? We're so far from being perfect. We don't, we'll never be perfect, folks. We will always have some of those issues. The difference is, the fact, is if God's in charge of your life, he's going to help you and correct you and move you in the path to be more like Jesus and less like we, we used to be. The emotional problem is because it needs to be dealt with because God wants to be Lord over every part of your lives. And when we follow, accept Jesus into our heart and our lives, God begins something brand new. This brand new thing is designed to be able to uh, grab a hold of who you are and move you to where you are called to be. That's right. He wants you to hand over your marriage. He wants them to hand over your kids. He wants to hand over every part of your life to where he becomes actually the one that is in charge of your life. And to do that, he has three calls. He doesn't call a whole nation to himself. He calls you as an individual. He calls you to the person of Jesus Christ. It's a personal call to each and every one of us. And it's different for each one of us. Because God has created us, he knows us, and he speaks to us in a unique way. How God's going to speak to me is not how he's going to speak to my son. How he speaks to Bob is not how he speaks to Peter. 
Yet God is speaking to you individually because he knows you. And when he speaks into your heart, he is calling you to the first to who he is. To not only accept and believe in him, but he's called you because he says, first of all, every part of your life is filled with sin. But I have paid the price. And when you come to me, is I'm going to take that and I'm going to take that ugliness and I'm going to create something beautiful out of it. So when we come into this world, we actually came perfect except we had this element of sin. Now God comes into the world and says, I want to take that element of sin that you have been grabbing onto so long and I want you to hand it over to me and I'm going to take that and I'm going to make something pure and beautiful out of it. Second of all, is once he calls you to himself and you've been in the Holy Spirit has been a part of your life, God begins something. You know, he calls you now to be set apart. You're not only his child and he's a part of your life. Now he says, I want you to set your life apart from the rest of the world. Much like the separatists who decided they can't live where they're at and they tried to build those boundaries and barriers barriers so that they could actually follow God the way they wanted. Now some people we're so blessed in this nation beyond all measure. We have total we have freedom to do so many things. We can say things that we that perhaps wouldn't be acceptable somewhere else. We can talk about Jesus. It's totally acceptable for us to talk about Jesus. Although sometimes you might lose some of your friends. I have lost friends by talking about Jesus. But I also want you to know first of all is when you set yourself apart, you're asking God to do something specific with you. You're God's now. You're not like the rest of the world. And go to this scripture. I want you to read this. This is a scripture that I love without it in all my heart, but I want you to understand it in the message version because to me it's, it's, it's as plain as, it, as you can possibly be. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, So, here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to the culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognizing what he wants from you. Quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always drain you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you. Develops well-formed maturity in you. I like that because it's saying, when you set your life apart, he doesn't necessarily say that I want you to do everything in your life different. He says, I want you to go to work. I want you to take care of your kids. I want you to go to, your, to the store. But remember, everything, everything that you do, you do to him. One of the greatest gifts in the world is one scripture that God tell, helps us to do that. And he tells us to do that by saying, pray continually. Stay connected to God. Pray as you're walking along. You know, one of the things in the world is when you, I, I, I find myself at times saying, God help. You know, using my favorite words, God help. <laughs> my son always turns, what are you talking about now, Dad? <laughs> you know, it's saying, 
I, there's an element that popped into my mind I need help with. God help me with this. And one of the best ways to stay connected on your everyday going about living life is learning the simple words, God help me. God is with you. When you've invited him into your life and he is a part of your life, now he says, I want you to live your life. I don't want you to necessarily go to Ecuador. Okay? Some of you might, and that would be wonderful. I'm going to have a great time, I'll tell you that. But he says, everyday, ordinary life. That means he wants you to live your life like you are, except put God in control of it now. God calls us to that very thing. I think in Colossians it actually says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so now walk in him every day. The last thing God actually calls us to is first of all the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? Second of all the call to set apart. The second part, third one is the call to serve. God has called that in all Christians. We're not, when we begin and accept Jesus into our lives, it is a process. We live through that process. The process says is God is calling you to, first of all, to himself. Second of all, to be his disciple. Third of all, to serve. And how do you serve? That is a million different ways that we can serve in God's kingdom. Now, service doesn't necessarily mean that we do a lot of things too much different. One of the best servants I actually know, I actually pushed a broom around the church. That's right. He didn't go out and start a thousand different groups. So what is a service? What is a servant, by the way? Is, is it mentoring? Is that what discipleship is? No, it's not. When we mentor somebody, we take our knowledge and our experience and we give it to somebody to help them. Discipleship is not that. Discipleship is giving God, the ability, here is Jesus, and he will show you and mentor you through the Holy Spirit, will take you and lead you in these things. All I do as a person is try to point you to Jesus and say, read him, know him, live him, and he will direct you. One of the great gifts of life is the fact is we don't have to depend upon a person. I love Peter with all my heart, but I'm not going to depend upon Peter. I got Jesus. You have mighty wonderful people in your lives, fathers and mothers, but it's not your fathers and mothers. It's Jesus. Discipleship is bringing people to Jesus and showing them this. Jesus will show you how to live. As we call to serve him, we've got to understand that the disciples, when they were asked to serve him, didn't have the advantage you guys have. Yeah, they had Jesus right there in the physical flesh. I mean, that's awful awesome. But even when Jesus says, I got to go, because when I leave, the, I have to leave so the Father can send one who's going to be with you always, the Holy Spirit. And today, when we accept Jesus into our life and we believe that, we have the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us in life. That is the greatest gift we could ever know. That is a gift that's going to get you beyond all other aspects of your life. But it was that Holy Spirit that he had to give to the disciples at the day of Pentecost. When the Spirit of God fell upon these young group of people, God changed the world. 
God's saying he can do that to you. You see, as being his disciples, Romans 8.28 says, whatever you do, everything you do, for those that are called to his purpose, and you're all called to his purpose, when you do those things, God's going to bring success out of it. So the great news that God gives us today is he wants to bless your life. You come to him, you separate your life and give it to him, and you choose to serve. The church is full of many activities. I love life in the church. I'm sorry, wherever I go, it's the church that becomes the important thing because the church is a group of people who have the spirit of God that wants to share that message of what Jesus has done. And that's what's going to change my life. It did change my life. That's what is changing my life. And that's what's going to change your life and your children and your children's children. Just like the separatists who passed it on for generations. <coughs> it's in your life. You think it's insignificant what you do? It's not. It's major. But it comes with his spirit's presence. Let's bow our heads. There's the music team comes I want us to take a moment of just recognizing if God's been speaking to you about something unique and only the Holy Spirit can speak to you how he says to you is different from everybody else here I want us to just give a pause and talk to him about it right now Father today Lord Jesus I just give you praise for all that you have done in our lives all that you are doing in our lives Father, as you speak to our hearts today, I pray for the power of your spirit to take us where we are, to bring us to that point where you want us to be today, to make the commitments, to make the decisions, but above all, Lord, to live for you. I ask today, Lord Jesus, in every heart today, would you touch us at that point of need and lead us where you're calling us to go. Jesus' name.